0: here we're in week five in our series on first corinthians and this letter was written by the apostle paul to a church that he planted in corinth a key port city in the greek peninsula and he planted it there because it was like new york city las vegas and los angeles rolled into one it was a wild city and paul writes this letter to them And we're convinced that this letter has prophetic things to say to us in 2019. So we're looking at it, we're digging in, and hopefully I've invited you because I think it would be wonderful as a church if we study this together, if we pray through it. So I'll leave us with something at the end here. But we're looking at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. If you remember last week, we looked at the message of the cross. The idea, the message of a crucified Messiah was offensive. Paul used that Greek word, "scandalon." It was a scandal to the Jewish mind and to the Greeks. And what we saw in the cross, the symbol that's up behind me, is that it looks like utter defeat. It's foolish. It's silly. It's absurd to think that the God of creation would send his son to die on a cross and let Rome execute him, lynch him, put him to death, publicly humiliate him. And the Lord says, the cross is where the victory is won. It looks like complete defeat, and that is where the Lord works. In that moment, the crucible of humiliation and self-giving and self-love is where the Lord works. So we're looking again today, we looked at the message of how the cross overturns human conventional wisdom, and today we're going to see the implications of that. Paul talks about the message of the cross, and then he says, you know what? You're a community of the cross, The church is the community gathered around the cross of Jesus. Next week, we'll look at Paul's preaching of the cross. I just want to tell you as I'm looking at this week after week, it's changing me, it's killing me. The Lord is saying, Are you going to talk about this or are you going to let me crucify you? How's that for a message? Lord, will you say something else please? Maybe that's not the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is inviting me to embrace the cross because that's where the power is. That's where transformation occurs. Where I feel weakest and most pathetic and pitiful and defeated, the Lord says, ah, we're onto something. You ready for the resurrection? So church, the message of the cross isn't heavy, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's what we stand for. It's what we live for. So today we're going to look at what I've called the church, God's unimpressive people. And I'll explain that in a minute. But let's look at the text here. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. And again, you've heard me urge you to bring your Bible, bring a notebook, bring a pen. You can do all this in your phone if you like. But I really want us to be with and attentive to the scriptures here. So reading at verse 26. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's the word of God. Paul's gonna say several things here. I wanna point out a few of them. The first one is Paul invites the church at Corinth to consider their call. Look at verse 26. Paul says, consider your call, brothers and sisters. He's saying you've heard the message of the cross, and now I want you to look at yourself, the people of the cross that the Lord has chosen. Consider your calling. It's interesting, he uses this language here. What's he call them? Brothers and sisters. Paul's very intentional here. He doesn't say, I am the holy apostle, listen up. He says, brothers and sisters, to remind them of a couple things. One is that they're in God's family, just like we were singing about together. The church is about the love of God the Father. That's why we're here, is it not? Everything is meant to put us in the embrace of God. If it's not, we're doing something else. We're doing a performance, we're doing this, we're doing that. All that we do here as a church is meant to put us in the presence of the Father. So He can look at you and say, I love you. And you say, Wait, me? And He says, Yes, I'm crazy about you. I love you. It's what the message of the cross is about. So Paul is reminding them they're in God's family. The other thing, by using this language here, He's saying there's level ground. As people of the cross, there's no hierarchy. That's what God overturns in the cross. The Lord upends all of that. All the social ladders, all the hierarchies are washed away by the cross of Jesus. Paul says, not many of you read on here come from the upper crust of society. And Paul uses three words I want us to look at here. He talks about wise, powerful, and people of noble birth. The Corinthians were infatuated with these kinds of things. The church at Corinth Wanted wisdom on their terms. They wanted to be powerful. They wanted to show, I'm from a pretty great family. And Paul says, all of that is meaningless in light of the cross. As a matter of fact, most of you don't have that on your resume. And Paul says, that can work for you. When he says wise here, he's using this word, Sophia, which is good, wisdom, rationality, but the church at Corinth wanted to demonstrate how educated they were. It was part of being a Greek people. Hey, we know quite a bit. We've studied in the school of so-and-so. We have this knowledge, and Paul says the cross puts that nonsense to death. So really what he's addressing here is the Ivy Leaguers of Corinth, and he's saying not many of you are from the Ivy Leagues. The next thing he says, Not many of you come from a powerful background. It's actually a word that's used to suggest your wealth, your money is what gives you influence. So in our terms, Paul would say, not many of you come from Manhattan, those cocktail parties. Not many of you come from those places. He'll tell us where they do come from. Thirdly, Paul says, not many of you are of noble birth. There's a Greek word, eugenes. Say eugenes. Eugenes, and this was a word that the Corinthians loved, the idea of coming from a high-status family. I'm a Kennedy. I'm from the royal family. Do you know who my great-grandfather was? This kind of stuff is what Paul is addressing. And these were badges that people wore in Corinth even in the church. And so Paul is telling them it's time to remove your badge and to realize that most of you don't even have a badge to wear. Why? Because the Lord chooses the opposite oftentimes. Now, Paul is not saying that if you do have wisdom and learning and you do have power and influence and you do come from noble birth that God's not going to choose you. That's not the point, is it? What Paul is saying, though, is oftentimes people with these things exclude themselves. Why do you need God? Why do you need the message of a crucified Jewish man when you have these things? It's fascinating here. Just to give you a little word picture, these things were so important to the church at Corinth that they worshiped them. There were two gods called money and status. One was pecunia, and the other was philotimia. And they worshiped them, not that we would ever do that in 2019, but they actually enshrined money and status. And so Paul is rooting this out of the church, and Paul is reminding the church, God's ways are different. Think about this for a moment, okay? Amanda and I were talking about this this week, and I was just pondering the way God works, God's plan Listen to how God works, not based on these things, but God says, I'm going to rescue the human race, I'm going to destroy the evil empire of Satan, and I'm going to transform all of creation. How am I gonna do it? Listen, I'm gonna send my son to the armpit of the Middle East, Nazareth, where they say nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He's going to recruit 12 ragtag disciples, uneducated, many of them fishermen. One, a tax collector that the Jews are already going to be suspicious of. Further, my son actually is going to be a carpenter, maybe a stonemason, work with his hands. He's going to start his ministry at 30. He's going to do his ministry for three years, and then Rome is going to lay hold of him and crucify him for sedition. God, this is crazy. Then on the third day, I'm gonna raise him from the dead. I'm gonna send three women to be the first witnesses to the resurrection, including one that Jesus had driven seven demons out of. You getting my point? God's plan, God's ways, it is absurd to us. Now look what happens. The most influential movement in world history started from what I'm describing right here. It's outlasted Rome. It's outlasted every world empire. It's growing. It's taking root on every continent. Every people group is hearing the message that we're talking about, the message of the cross. It cannot be stopped. I think that God's offensive ways are better than ours. Would you agree? And God will offend your mind and my mind to reveal our hearts. As I was looking at this this week, I was thinking, my PhD is garbage before God. As a matter of fact, at times, it's stuff for me to work through and process because I live out of my head too much oftentimes. And the Lord says, I want you to use your mind, use your intellect, but I want your heart, son. Maybe you are prizing your education. Maybe you're prizing your wealth, your financial portfolio, your title at work, your family name. The Lord wants to bring the cross to all of that. The Lord wants to form us, and I'm with you right in the midst of that. Lord, bring the mark of your cross to my life. I want to be a person of the cross in a community of the cross. I've titled this in a way to get your attention, The Church, God's Unimpressive People. So I want you to hear me in that. God does not call you And God does not call me to be impressive. Some of you might say, well, I thought we are special, and actually we are impressive, and you're not. You are special, but you're not impressive. I'm not impressive. Ask Amanda. (laughs) If we get close enough to one another, we realize that we're ordinary It's a gift from God. Think about that for a moment. If you are impressive, then what do you have to do? Impress people. Who has tried to live life like that? I have got to impress my parents. I've got to get my father's love, my mother's approval. I've got to impress my boss at work. I've got to impress people at our Lord's. And the cross pulls the rug out from all of that, friends. It's liberating. I don't have to be impressive. Matter of fact, if you get close enough, you're gonna see the opposite. I'm ordinary. You're ordinary. And it's powerful because if we'll let the Lord move, then he'll bring resurrection power through ordinary people. Do you hear me on that? God is extraordinary, God is impressive. And he reminds us through texts like this that he has chosen. What he says in uh, verses 27 through 29 here, Paul talks about God's surprising choice. He points out, again, three things. He mentions God chose three different times, and he picks three words based on the three words we just looked at. God chose what is foolish, what is weak, and what is low and despised. And again, he's undermining what they prized most, the badges they wore, the resumes they had. And he says God actually picks the opposite. God picks the opposite, the flip side of those who are wealthy, those who are highly educated, those who are low and despised. He uses a wordplay here. And I want us to. I had you say "Huganes." Paul says the Lord actually chooses the "genes." Say "genes." You know what "genes" means in Greek? Nobody's. So if "Huganes" means somebody, you know my family name. Paul says God chooses the "genes," the nobodies. That's who God chooses to use he actually made his son a gnes a nobody on the cross paul is making a point here to get them pulled out of their corrosive culture and he's saying salvation comes through a gnes moment it doesn't come through human wisdom or knowledge but it comes through the message of the cross I know this, is a, this can be heavy, right? But it's also loving and liberating and beautiful to see that the Lord works in weakness and that the Lord's values are different than ours and that we don't have to be impressive and go out into the world and impress everyone. Now, I'm not saying we want mediocrity. That's not it at all. If that's what you're hearing, unplug your ears. Right? I am saying we want to be people of excellence and all, but it's because the Lord accepts us and the Lord sends us out and he's the impressive one. Right? Why does this happen? Paul says that God's grace and God's choice, if you look at the text here, 27-28, in order to shame the wise and strong. Jesus talks about this, doesn't he, in his uh, Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, he'll say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or he'll say, what looks like the last is actually going to be the first. So Jesus is teaching the same thing, and Paul got it from him. Why is this happen? Why does God do this? Look at what the text says. So that no one may boast in the presence of God. Why is it that we're hardwired to boast, to put our chest out. Maybe even secretly. Man, I'm pretty good. I did that well. Or, Lord, I don't know if I really need you. I can do this. Paul is using the cross like a stick pin to pierce that. What Paul is talking about here is that the Lord uses the Ganesh so that no one may brag or boast or trust in themselves in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but does anyone here remember recess in middle school? Anybody remember? I probably just took you right back there. Fifth grade, sixth grade, line up at recess, maybe on the fence. The two cool kids stand over here and they pick the team. Now you remember, don't you? Man, you were sweating there, and I had this happen many times where, especially if you get two bullies who are picking the teams, and they pick everyone, and you're the last person. You're the one that's left over. You're the one that's overlooked. Nobody wants you on the kickball team. What Paul is saying here, that's who the Lord picks. The Lord picks the Ganes, the nobodies, the leftovers at recess, and the Lord says, you know what? That's who I want. I'm gonna build my church on the overlooked because I want to undermine the pride of the wise and the powerful. It's God's ways. I'm not saying this. The text says it. A third thing that Paul says here is that Jesus is our life and everything. Look at verse 30. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus who became for us three things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Really rich theological terms here that Paul is pointing out. He's saying that Christ crucified is God's wisdom and action. The cross is what brings these other three riches. What are the three riches? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness, as we were singing about this morning, basically means, church, that as a follower of Jesus, you stand before the judge and he says, you're righteous. You've got Christ, the clothing of Christ. You put on Christ. You put your faith in him. You are in right standing with the holy God. And that's what Paul is saying to the church here. He's saying another thing that Jesus, Christ crucified, Christ as God's wisdom brings sanctification, another one of those big words here, it basically means what Paul talked about in the opening verses. You're a saint. You're sanctified. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're made holy, even when you don't think you are, even when you don't believe it. Paul is saying, through Jesus, you're made holy and you have access into the very presence of God. This last metaphor here. Christ is your redemption. Paul's a Jew. This word comes from the Hebrew Bible. When were they redeemed? When is that ultimate moment of redemption shown? In the Exodus event. That's what Paul is saying. You are freed from slavery. Slavery to sin. Slavery to your old way of life. Because of Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to invite you to take these verses here and meditate on them. Matter of fact, I want us to do something. I want us to take a moment here. And I want you to close your eyes. You can say it under your breath. You can say it inside. Christ is my wisdom. Jesus is my righteousness. Christ is my sanctification. Jesus is my redemption. That's what Paul wants them to do. He wants them to take words like this and meditate on them. So this week, as the enemy comes to you and says, Mike, brings whatever buttons he pushes those weak places in our armor and you can say to him christ is my sanctification the lord jesus has redeemed me use this stuff this is the sword of the spirit that's tucked into these verses here and that's exactly what paul wants them to do a final thing here paul ends this by saying there is a proper way of boasting and it's only in the lord He says, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And he's referencing because Paul loves to think biblically. He's pulling a text from Jeremiah 9. And this is what Jeremiah 9 says. And it actually lays out everything that he's said thus far. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their strength. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast in this... Boast that they understand and know me. And that is what Paul is urging the Corinthians to do. To boast in the knowledge, the understanding of God. Not their wisdom, their might, their wealth. So Paul's told us just in these few verses here that we're the church that God has chosen. And we're to live and share the message of the cross And that we're ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. I want to leave you with one last image here and that is the church being like the Bad News Bears. How many of you remember? This is for some of our people 40 and over. The Bad News Bears baseball team, Walter Mothau was a drunk coach. He recruited these pathetic baseball players and they go on to win the Junior World Series. It's a powerful story there. Thankfully, God is a better coach than Walter Mothau. But the message of the story is underdogs. And that's what we are, church. We're the underdogs. We don't have to be impressive. We don't have to be slick. We actually embrace weakness. We embrace the cross. We're people of the cross. And the Lord invites us to ponder these things together. Why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you for your words through Paul to the church at Corinth. And I just ask this morning that you would give us a fresh experience of it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Lord, I pray that we would be a community of the cross, that we would embrace the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, we need your help to do that. And we pray for his glory. we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.